Well, if you would, uh, please stand, and um, we are going to be, the text uh, for today is actually uh, just one verse, but if you'd want to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, and I'd like to read actually verses 20 through 27. The heart of the message is really centered on verse 23, but if you'd follow with me as we read from God's word. And of course, as we know, uh, in the first uh five chapters of Proverbs. These are the words of Solomon, and it's a precious picture of Solomon talking to his sons. And so I think it's a, we can see an analogy to God speaking to us, his children, to bring this great wisdom to his words, from his words. Starting in verse 20, my son be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Amen. The reading of God's word, you may be seated. The message that I would share by God's grace with you today is one of conviction in my heart. Uh, it's conviction of actually from Pastor Ed's preaching uh, the last uh, number of weeks through Second Peter, second, second epistle. And I was really taken, particularly the last few Sundays, but really primarily uh, one week ago today, and in that passage, uh, pastor is preaching from Second Peter, and if you want to turn there real quickly, again, I apologize for not having overheads, but these verses really uh, shook my heart, uh, because in Second Peter um, chapter 3, it's in verse 10 that the pastor has been preaching through, and verse 10 of Second Peter and just to give you some sense, I'm certainly not going to try to re-preach what Pastor Ed did. But this is all preparation in, in Peter's heart. He, he begins this chapter 3. He said, there's scoffers in the day that, that question the coming of the Lord Jesus. It's been a long time. And at that time, it was only a number of years. And, and here we are. It's 2,000 years for us. But Peter, uh, led by the Spirit of God, talks about as sure as God brought the flood and the account of the flood. So he will bring about his coming back. And what got me is in verse 10 of that, where Peter wrote, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. And what got me in that is that um, I remember years ago, this is going to be a bit of a confession. In fact, 43 years ago, by God's grace, the Lord drew me to himself through faith in Jesus Christ. And I remember those early days uh, getting up in the morning and not understanding the fullness of what salvation meant. I knew that my life had been changed. I was very young in scripture. I didn't know a lot of the word. But I remember getting up in the morning at our kitchen table and looking out through the window and praying. And in that day, I had a heart to believe that Christ could come back that day. 
my heart was, Lord, I was so new in the faith, and everything was just the most incredible thing in my life. And I believe he could come back that day. And here I am 43 years later, and I'm convicted as Pastor Ed so eloquently preached through these things about the day of the Lord coming. And it was really verse 14 in that second Peter chapter three. And let me just read that quickly. And it says, therefore, and, and what he's saying is considering that the day of the Lord is coming and the day of the Lord is a dreadful and frightening thing. Malachi preaches is one of the last prophecies that we see in the Old Testament comes from Malachi. And he says, the day of the Lord is coming is a dreadful day. It's a frightening day. It's coming. Isaiah 13 speaks about the wrath of God that will be poured out upon the earth. And as sure as the flood came, the day of the Lord will come. But it's verse 14 that shook me last week. It's where Peter says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. You know, only believers would look forward to this because it's the picture of Christ coming back. The lost in the world would never look forward to these days. They'll be the most frightening days, more than we could even begin to understand. But Peter says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, listen to these words, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Those are the words. It's that last part, to be found by him. 43 years ago, sitting at that kitchen table and having my whole life change the glory of God, and I wanted to be, I didn't understand fullness of what the working out of sanctification, I didn't understand the fullness of what God would be about these last 43 years. But I wanted to be upright before my God. My heart those days was if you come today, you see, I, let me jump off a little tangent here. I was raised a Catholic and I was taught by, by Irish nuns. And those nuns, one thing they taught old sinful Joe was that Jesus is coming one day and what will he find you doing? Well, it scared me to death as a little boy. And these words scare me. They do. They sober me up. Lord, when you come, and you could come again today, will I be found at peace? It's the last two parts, without spot and blameless. And beloved members of our church family and all that are here today, it's the heart of what I will endeavor to share today because what I have realized through that is that here I am, having walked by God's grace 43 years. He's kept me. I haven't kept myself. He's the one that's kept me. And yet, Father, what's in my heart that I don't get up in the morning with that fervor to think that this day, your son could come this day. And with that conviction in my heart, will I be found without spot and blameless? And the Lord's been in his gentleness has really stirred in my heart that I need the wisdom from God. That's what this message is. It's wisdom to guard the heart. And I love that verse 43 that Solomon says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. And so this morning we're going to quickly address two of these words in that title. The one that I'll probably speak of the most is going to be the word heart. And this obviously is not the physical organ that keeps us alive, but it's this word that really is mysterious. 
It's heart. It's a spiritual part of our being. I have always been fascinated by uh, a lot of scripture, but been fascinated in the very beginning. I believe it's in Genesis 2 where uh, the word of God records that God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And Adam in that state, I believe right there, was like other creatures that God had created. But God did something to Adam that he didn't do to any other creature on the earth. Is he breathed into Adam the breath of life. And you see, that's the eternal aspects of human beings. It what sets us apart from everything else that God created. And that makes us eternal beings. We're here today, we, we mourn uh, Hoss's passing, but, but Hoss has gone on and he didn't go away. He passed from this earthly kingdom to the heavenly kingdom. And every one of us is so we sit here today, a day will come when that same will happen to us because we have been given the breath of life. It's passed down through Adam to every one of us. And so the understanding of this is that with that comes, I believe, this picture of a heart. God's word speaks about heart so much, and Solomon spoke about it so much. And so this morning, and and I'm already in trouble time-wise, so I'm going to have to try to go fairly fast, but there's two aspects of what has, the Lord, I trust, has really uh, spoken to me about. Is that, Father, I need wisdom to know my heart. You see, the heart, our heart is, is hidden from us in many ways. We're going to talk about that. God, in his grace and mercy, has given us a means by which we can see what's in our heart. He reveals that to us. So the first thing is wisdom to know my heart. There's a wonderful scripture in Psalm 26, verse 2. It's where the psalmist writes, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. And I think that's the prayer that we should all have. The second aspect of this, and it was a thing from going back so many years ago, is in sitting at that kitchen table. And I have to tell you, when I was saved, I was part of a charismatic church. So that tells you a little bit, I guess. But at that table, I just knew the Lord could come back. And when he came, I had a sense of his kingdom coming on this earth. The same is true today. The day of the Lord will come and Christ is going to bring back his kingdom and it will be established on this earth. And so the other part of this cry in my heart was for wisdom to understand the times and the seasons that we're about. I was always convicted by Matthew chapter 16. It's where the Pharisees came to Christ, those first few verses, and they were challenging to show them a sign. They wanted a sign to prove that you're who you say you are, that you are, that you are the Messiah, that you are the one. But Jesus, as he did, he knew their hearts, and he says, you're able, I'm paraphrasing this, you're able to know the seasons. You see the sky, and you know the seasons are coming, but you do not know the times, uh, what they are. They, he was saying, I've been prophesied throughout hundreds of years of scripture, and you have those, but you don't know the times are about. And that's the thing for me. I feel like we live in, I think for all of us that know and love the Lord Jesus, we see that the times are dark, and we think 
the day of the Lord is at hand and couldn't be approaching. But I've realized in my own life, just again being really honest, is that while I'm not of the world, but I'm in the world. And I'm surrounded by this. And it's kind of that old analogy of the frog in the water. Is it kind of comes in. And so this vision, this, this seeking first the kingdom of God, believing that what it will be like when he comes, it has diminished in my life. And I don't want it to. I want, I trust for all of us that have been saved by Christ, I want to be the one who yearns for his appearing. I want to seek his kingdom. And see, the heart of all this is this seeking, this wisdom to understand my heart, to understand God's timing, to God's seasons. What are the times where we are right now is to emphatically press us to be about the work that he's called us to, which is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have been far too timid with my family, with my neighbors. I believe in all my heart, as the Lord kindles this once again in our hearts, that he will give us a new passion to be about, to be a fool for Jesus Christ, to never be ashamed of that name Jesus before anyone, and to proclaim his gospel. Well, that's a summary of where we're going to try to go today. And what I'd like to do, trying to anchor in on this word heart and, and exactly uh, what is that heart. I've got a question in my notes. It would be right on the overhead that I had them, but let me just pose it to you. What is the heart from a biblical perspective? The heart, according to the Bible, is the center of man's spiritual being. Consider the words that Solomon wrote. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. From our hearts flow everything that we are. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how critical it is to guard the source of all of our life. And so that's certainly Solomon brings that point out in that verse. But the heart, according to the Bible, is the center of man's spiritual being. It is primarily a spiritual organ that drives man's behavior, the very seat of his will. And God placed within this creature, this heart, as I shared before from Genesis 2-7, this breath of life. Every human being has a heart in, a, in description as God's word gives us. But the thing that's so interesting is what does a heart look like before redemption, before it's been regenerated, as opposed to after that? So we're going to look at the heart as we all come into life with, and then to see this amazing thing that God does in those hearts. I've got a little sidetrack here again, a rabbit trail, if you will. The question often comes is, we often hear the advice to follow your heart. And the question I pose is, that sound biblical advice? Naturally speaking, the human heart, apart from God's saving grace, found through faith in Jesus Christ, listen to the words I've got, is a terrible indicator of what is from God. Man's spiritual state upon entering life, the picture that we have from Ephesians 2.1, is that we all come into life dead in trespasses and sin. It's a separation we have from the Creator. Sin has caused us to be away from Him and not have any means in which actually to, to, to have relationship with Him. Isaiah 59.2 has always been a sobering scripture to me. As Isaiah wrote, he said, but your iniquities, God speaking through the prophet, 
Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's a sobering text to realize that before God does something in our hearts is that we are away from him. We are enmity with God. We are not friends with God. Romans 3, 11, those sobering scriptures that Paul writes there, he says, there's none good, none righteous, and this is what got me. There are none that seek God. You take that scripture and you realize for 37 years of my life, I was convinced I was seeking God. I was really seeking Job. I wanted to serve. I wanted what I wanted. It was not God that I wanted. So we have to understand what the heart apart from God's redeeming work, what it looks like. In Jeremiah 17, 9, a scripture that's so familiar to us, the prophet Jeremiah writes, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, and who can understand it? If there's ever a time in our lives when we look out on this world and we can apply that scripture to it, what is, what is the heart of man? We see things taking place in our lives that we cannot comprehend. And it's a picture of the human heart apart from God's grace. And it says, Jeremiah wrote thousands of years ago, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Jesus affirmed that truth in Matthew 15. Christ wrote, uh, spoke, he said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, fault, witness, and slander. Jesus told those disciples and told the Pharisees, it's not what comes into us that is defiling. It's what comes out of us. Think of the words of Solomon, that from the heart flow all the springs of life. 37 years of my life, my heart was dark. 37 years of my life, the only one that ruled in my heart was me. I wanted nothing of God. I wanted all of me. And the truth of the springs that flowed from my life, by God's grace and mercy, they weren't, the world would look, the world would look at Joe Flahi and say, oh, he's a good man. He's a good, he mows his yard. He's got kids. He's, got, he's an engineer. What else could be wrong with, with a guy that's an engineer? But in my heart, I was wicked, and I knew that, and it was a weight I carried for all those years. That's the condition of all our heart. And if there are any here this morning or online this morning, and these words seem confusing, and you said, I'm not sure where my heart is. I was there for 37 years. Be encouraged. Because the Lord does a mighty work in the hearts of those that reject him. Well, I want to next to move and um, to see uh, what, what the Lord does to change these hearts. Uh, I just, in my notes, I read some of them. I said, with this understanding of how dark hearts are apart from God's grace, we see why the starting point, this is so interesting to me, for spiritual life, this is where spiritual life begins. You know where it begins? It begins in the heart. It's what God does the very first thing. It's something that no one of us could ever do, but he does this, and it's the most beautiful picture of what we see, and the words are from uh, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. There's two words that God speaks to the prophet. He speaks of a stony heart and a heart of flesh. What are our hearts apart from God's mercy and redemption and grace? 
our hearts are as stone. We would never understand that, not in our human intellect, but from God's perspective, there's nothing in a lost person's heart that wants God. And it isn't that we, it isn't that we're not religious, but the religions that we cling to are religions that we make. I can make this laws in which I, as a lost sinner, if I just keep the laws that Joe comes up with, then God surely, surely, he will at least look upon me with some degree of favor. But the scriptures has nothing to do with that. Because apart from God's work, we're dead. Apart from God's work, we're separated from him. Let me read such a familiar scripture from the prophet Ezekiel. This is God speaking to the prophet, and he speaks about a new work that he will do. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. In these verses, we see over and over again, I will, I will, I will. It's not us that changes his heart. It is God in his providence working out his purposes solely for his glory that he sees a wretched sinner like me. And I don't know why, and neither do any of us know exactly why he's called us out of darkness, but we marvel because he alone, I will do this, I will do this. That's what God says. This is a humbling reality, and it's very difficult for many, certainly in our day, to accept. We want to believe that people in their hearts are essentially good and that they must be coerced or victimized or provoked into bad behavior. But listen again what Christ says in, in Mark chapter 7. Christ reveals the true heart of the state of man. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. So humanity, as we come into life, as the old preacher would say, has a heart problem. We all need a heart transplant. We need to have something done that we are unable to do ourselves. And so we see that what God would do, and this is so important, this aspect of this amazing work of God. In fact, you've got your Bibles. I ask you just to turn to John chapter 3. Uh, words that are so critical that we all understand. I think it certainly is preached from the pulpit here at Hope through our pastor. But these are words that are so critical because I've tried to paint this picture not from what God says of a hard heart, a stony heart. And how does God go about this taking this stony heart and replacing it with a heart of flesh? Uh, R.C. Sproul, which we all appreciate so much, he used to say before God's amazing work, of regeneration in a person's heart, then that heart is bent always away from God and toward man. And so we see it's in, in John chapter 3, a very familiar scripture about this amazing work that God does. And if you want to follow with me, and I'm going to read through the first uh, eight verses. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. 
and no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, listen to these words, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Listen to these words, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so we see that this miraculous work of taking the stony heart from all of humanity that God calls and draws to himself is a work of the spirit of God. I love the last part of these verses where Christ says in those verses 7 and 8, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. It reminds me of Genesis 2-7 when God breathed the breath of life into Adam. The Spirit is compared to wind into a breath and we see this when one is born again it isn't that we see where the spirit comes from but we know in the lives to whom the spirit of God has done this work that these lives are changed forever and it is a picture when God breathed the breath of life into Adam then it was passed to all humanity that heart that he gave to Adam and to all of mankind was a means by which a relationship could be made between that man and the creator. But that heart is darkened by sin, and what we see in this new birth is that heart is once again regenerated to be able to have a relationship with the living God. Well, there's many other points in this, but that's the most important one. And I, I want everyone here, anyone listening online, to know that outside of the new birth, no one will ever see the kingdom of God. No one ever entered the kingdom of God. I've had a, a family member who is, and I love, who is very religious. And I remember after coming to Christ these 40 whatever years ago, couldn't wait to tell all my family of this. And I told this, the brother of mine, I said, about this, I didn't even fully understand. I, I just was boasting in the Lord in this amazing thing that had happened. And he got so upset. He didn't want to hear that because he was working his way to God. What these verses say is that God must do this. We're not going to earn our way to God. We're not going to buy our way to God. Nothing that we do, our righteousness, as we know, is as filthy rags. There's no righteousness in us. And so how critical it is to understand you must be born again. If there is anyone here this morning or online and has not known this, the thing that's so amazing, it's like all this is of God and it's not things we see in the natural realm, but the truth is it's in, it's in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that if anyone is in Christ, behold, he is a new creature. Old things are gone and all things become new. You wonder, how can I know about this new birth? How can I know if it's real in me? You know because your life is totally different now. You know because you who lived in sin as I lived in sin, not understanding the fullness of God's word or all of this miraculous work, but you know that you know that your life is different. 
And the amazing thing in this is that he keeps you. It's not like you got to try to earn your way because I'm a sinner. <laughs> I deal with this stuff of sin. We all still do. But he keeps us all the way through this. Well, I wish, again, we have, so we have a picture. Let me just back up a minute. We have a picture of the heart that's before the redeeming work of God. We have a picture of a heart, I pray, after the redeeming work of God. Paul says in Ephesians, he says that God, that Christ comes, it's in Ephesians chapter 3, he said that Christ comes to his people in their heart. Christ comes and dwells in heart. Now, that's a great mystery. Uh, Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians, he says that we have the mind of Christ. We have to the believer the wisdom of God, which comes through Christ, is in our hearts that we might know the things of God. So the key in this is that we have these two pictures of a heart before God's redeeming work and the heart after this. The thing that we see taking place is that these, this represents two different natures. It's the nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit of God. And the thing that we find is that once coming to faith in Christ, we who had only one nature before that redeeming work, the nature of the flesh, the nature to satisfy ourselves, we now have a new nature. And within these two natures within us, a war begins. Paul says in Galatians 5, 17, so that the flesh battles against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and it's a war that never ends. So I'm going to go all the way back to where we began, and it's in the words, again, of Solomon, and what he's speaking of here, of keeping our hearts with all vigilance, for from them flow the springs of life. And it's the heart of this message, the heart of the message. It's the, it, it's the core of this message, is it's keeping the heart. The Solomon, I mean, the Holman Bible translates that word as opposed to keep. He translates that word guard, and I really like that word guard, uh, I think, better than the word keep, because the picture of guard is something that we're to be actively pursuing and doing. And there's actually three points that I would make concerning this guarding of our heart uh, and why it's so critical uh, for us, is that if you understand within the heart of one who's come to faith in Christ, we have these two natures within us. I had an old preacher one time that had a way of describing what this warfare is like. He said, and I'll never forget it because it, it really riveted my understanding. He said, every day we get up and we begin the day and we will decide that day, we'll decide which of these two natures will feed. And his analogy was in that, well, we get up and through prayer and through the word of God, through spending time with our God, will we feed what he called the spirit of, uh, of Christ that is in us, the lion of Judah, he referred to it, or will we feed that old mangy dog, the flesh? And it's something, I go all the way back to 43 years ago in the morning, coming new, being new and through faith in Christ, and my hunger was to feed the spirit of the Lord that was in me, not fully understanding that but loving his word. So that's something that we have to decide, decide every single day, and it's a part of this guarding. But let me, with the, the time that we have left, 
and I apologize again. As you can imagine, my points have subpoints. But if you want to write them down, I'm going to go slow. There are three main points that I pray the Spirit of the Lord speaks to all of our hearts of why it's so critical to guard or to keep by heart. The first point is because your heart and my heart is extremely valuable. Uh, and so the sub points in this, the value in our heart is number one, sub point A under, under that, is the heart is the home of godly treasure. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Paul writes these words. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you're here today and you, and you are in Christ, it's because a price was paid, a price that's incomprehensible, that the God of glory, the Prince of heaven, stepped out of that heaven. He came to this earth and he came solely, he took upon the flesh of the creature that he created that he might pay the price. And he was the only one that could pay that price. So this treasure in these earthen vessels, I don't know if we considered that enough we have the living God dwelling within us. And I, in my heart, I want that heart to be as pure as it can be for him to be in, in, in that place. So, so sub point A, a is it's the home of godly treasure. B in this is it's the pathway to God and the means of spiritual and eternal knowledge. Let me read a scripture very familiar to you, 1 Corinthians chapter two, and Paul, of course, writing, he says, for what man, it's so important, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That's a staggering truth. What the word of God says, not some preacher or some man says. He says that because of this redeeming work that we have within our hearts, the very spirit of God, so that we might know the things of God. It was that second point I made besides having a hunger for his return is, Father, I want to know what are the times, what are the seasons Give me a sense of urgency to be about the work you've called me to be. And I am convinced in my heart that when my heart is pure, when my heart is guarded, then I will be able to know the things of God much clearer than I do today. I just have a note in here that then going back to Solomon's words, he said, this is from the NIV, which... I like these different translations. They all, all are from God, but the NIV translates at verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I hope that is sinking in for all of us today. 
whatever our lives look like? Are we walking upright before God? Are we bringing glory to him in our life? Are we standing for Jesus Christ and the gospel in our life? Have we ever been, and I say this with trembling, have we ever been ashamed of the gospel? Have we ever been ashamed of the name of Jesus? You don't have to raise your hand. It's that flesh. It riles its ugly head. It says, don't be a fool. Don't talk about Jesus. We're talking about Arkansas football or whatever. We're talking about a million things. But we can speak about Jesus Christ. And I think that's the key in this. Above all else. And I love this because the Holy Spirit seems to move Solomon to say, and he doesn't say if you get around to it, or it would really probably work out well for you if you guard your heart. He's saying, do it. He's saying, watch your heart. Watch every aspect of what comes into your heart that you might know the things of God. The second point, so if in your mind you've got one point, this is the second one of why we need to guard our heart because your heart is the source of everything you do. I think the picture of, of an old commentator that I love so much, he said, the stream parts into many heads, but it has one fountain. It's the picture that from our heart flows all of life. And it's a great analogy and a great understanding that so did we look at these streams of life and they work out in our emotions, they work out in the words we say, they work out in how we express love to people, they work out in how we share the gospel, all these springs and they all flow. And the thing that struck me again last week, it's Pastor Ed that's fault of all this. It's after his preaching is I kept thinking, well, I need to, so that Lord, that when you come, that I may be without spot and blameless, I need to be about this. I need to spend more time in the word. Nothing wrong with that. I need to spend more time praying. I need to spend, I need to commit to love my neighbor more. And then this word, I love what this old preacher said. He said that there are many springs that flow from it, but it all begins, there's a source. And so where I think for me, I need to address maybe the springs, but I need to make sure the source is pure. What's the motivation in my heart? To love my wife, to love my children, to spread the gospel, to love my neighbor. What's the motivation in that? It comes from the source of our heart. The outworking is as many ways. So the second part again is because your heart is the source of everything that you do. And I'm gonna try to go quickly through this. Subpoint A is we must be mindful of the things we think about, the things we set our affection on, and the things we give our attention to. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, Paul writes, let all bitterness, listen closely, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Subpoint B, thinking of the sense of time here. The next point in this, guarding your heart means choosing to focus on godly thoughts. Oh, this comes to my mind so often. What are the thoughts that we allow to be in our mind? What are those thoughts? And what the word of God says in Philippians chapter 4, um, such incredible words from, again, Apostle Paul. Finally, brothers, listen so closely to this. It really speaks to my heart. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What we allow in our mind, it doesn't mean things opposed to this come to our mind, but don't let them be there. Stand against them. Don't let them come into our heart. We've all probably struggled with envy or bitterness or all these things. As believers, we turn from them, rightfully so. But we have to understand, if we allow them in, then those are the ones that work to this heart. Point C, real quickly, guarding your heart means study and meditation of God's word that it might reveal idols within our heart. How penetrating is Hebrews 4, verse 12? Let me read the words from the writer of Hebrews. For the word of God, God's word that we have with us every day, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and listen last part, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What's in my heart? Are the things in my heart honorable before God? Is my heart spotless and blameless before God? I can sit here and intellectually say, well, sure, I can check that off. But when I'm in the word of God, the word of God is what reveals truly in my heart. Then I see idols that are there. And by God's grace, I can stand against those idols and endeavor by God's grace, which all this will be, to root those idols out of my Whatever they may be, we have a lot of idols. Some of us old gentlemen have retirement accounts. Oh, it's an idol. Let me check it every day to make sure I'm okay. (laughs) We have food in the freezer. I don't know. We have idols. Those seem pretty small. We have grievous idols that we would say are even more hideous before God. But let the word of God. Fellowship is really good, and I love my brothers in Christ. Some of us old crusty guys try to get together every week so they can speak into my heart. But the truth is, I need the word of God because it's like pulling back the curtain on my heart to reveal everything that's in there. Number D, real quickly on this, we're still in second points and we're doing okay here. Guarding our heart means exercising spiritual warfare to test every thought that enters our mind. How practical are these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So familiar, but let me read them. They're so practical. For we, this Paul's writing to believers, for though we walk in the flesh, we're in this body, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every, listen, I love this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, that Christ comes and dwells in our heart. What will come to our heart? I want everything to bow before the name of Christ. That is a tremendous means. It has been in my life, oh, We are confronted. We have this other nature. We have two natures in the believer. And I can be about and I can be looking and there may be something in my eyes and it's not of the Lord and it will stir up these things in my head. But by God's grace in this scripture, I can stand against them 
And I can say, I recognize this is not of Christ. This is not honoring to my Redeemer. This is not honoring to my Savior. And I will not allow it in my mind. Now, the truth is we, we struggle with this, but I believe in all my heart as we walk firmer and firmer, more upright with the Lord, as we endeavor to live without spot, without blemish in our life, that the grace of God will be even greater. And so these things that come in, we will immediately stand against them and cast them down as strongholds. Well, real quickly, and this will be, I keep saying that, we're going to be wrapping up with this. The, the third point in this, the third reason to guard your heart is because the heart is under constant attack. And it's why, again, the Holman's Bible translates this, guard your heart above all else. And I love the picture of that word again. I've mentioned it because I want to stand guard. It's like I stand guard at the gateway to my heart. I want to see everything that's headed this way. I want to bring it under the authority of Christ. I want to make sure that anything comes in here will have bowed before Jesus Christ because he's my Savior. He's my Lord, not me, not the flesh that's battling in this. And so stand guard over it. Be aware of all these things. And these things we know so well the Christian must fight against the flesh. Paul, real quickly, in, in Romans 7, it's verses that we all understand the reality of this war. He says, but I, in Romans 7, he says, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the delivery we have. But we have to be guarding our hearts to know that we fight against the flesh. The second point, point B, is Christian must fight uh, the world. And uh, in James 4.4, 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, listen, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If the desires and the pull of the world lay hold of us, and we battle it, I battle these things, I used to think all I wanted was a motorcycle, but it got more. There were things of the world, and I wanted this, and I wanted that. And I would recognize what is so frightening is the things of the world, the, the lust of the world, it would pull this heart. I don't know. I trust we all can have related to that. When the desires of the world pull us, I don't know what it is. It's the flesh. And it's got to be put down. It's got to bow to Jesus Christ. The very last thing, and sometimes we put this at the front, but it's a reality. Christians must fight the devil. Be sober, be, be, sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, sinking whom he may devour. And it certainly is true. He's a pretty smart guy. and I mean, he still thinks he's going to win, and we know better than that. He's not very smart, really, but but he does, and he watches us. He knows when when I'm being drawn to these things that I'm almost embarrassed to say when I'm having this flesh pulling me, when I'm having the world pulling me. Satan watches that. He's smart enough to know, oh, there goes that playhouse guy again. We can get him really this time. So we've got to, you know, going back, and I'm going to close with this. You can tell I love thinking back on 43 years ago. 
at that kitchen table? Ah, because it's the most uh, incredible thing never happened in my life. And you know what I did every day besides knowing that Christ could come that day? <laughs> Go outside. Do I look? Where's the east? Is it over here? <laughs> Listen for the trumpet sound. And I'd put the armor of God. And I turned to Ephesians 6. Now, I have to be honest. I told my sweet wife once, I said, the thing I always question, do I have to put that on every day? <laughs> well, I probably did. <laughs> um, well, this thing that God does in the heart of wretched sinners, which we all come into life with, is so amazing. And it's a heart work. It begins with a heart work. He continues to work in our heart. He's given us this imperative. It comes through this man, Solomon. And he says, keep it, watch it, guard it. I've rambled on quite a bit this morning. I pray we'll, we'll walk away with that. Lord, by your grace, give me discernment. Give me your wisdom to protect and guard this heart that you purchased. You paid an infinite price that we can't even begin to comprehend. You, God came to this earth and you didn't come to rule and reign you didn't come to be served you came to serve and to give your life a ransom for many and I tremble before that we all tremble before it to realize the reality of it can we not work to guard this chamber this place of this treasure that we bring honor and glory to him all the days of our life well let me pray our Father in heaven, Lord, your word is so amazing. Were it not for your precious word, these great truths that, Lord, we've tried to walk through uh, sporadically probably this today, Lord, we wouldn't understand them. But because of your word, oh, Father, we know the amazing work that you brought about in the life and the death and the resurrection of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know about the work of your Holy Spirit that is still at work in our hearts to guard and help us guard and protect these hearts. And so, Father, may we endeavor to be servants of yours. May we endeavor to be those that you've called us to be, to be disciples, to be in your word. And, Lord, would you give us a fervent desire, perhaps every morning for all of us, to look up, anticipate, that this may, day may be the day in which our salvation draweth nigh. Give us a heart to love you even more. Give us a heart to proclaim the great, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, this lost world. And give us a heart to bring glory to you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.